Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggall. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. In this week's episode, we're joined by Tom Oakden from Hilltop Hospitality Advisors to discuss results and deal murmurings, of which there are plenty. This packed podcast considers the enthusiasm for regional displayed by Pandox, asset repositioning and risk-taking to produce strong results, a tea dance in the conference basement perhaps? Expedia's results revealed the removal of vacation rental brand Verbo from Google as strong demand drives direct booking. And finally, we deliberate consolidation amongst investors as they take comfort in the recovery story of hotels and merrily build up their platforms. As we recorded this conversation on Pancake Day, we also, obviously, stopped take the shelves of M&S Paris and revisit the time Tom was traumatically hoodwinked by Beetroot. Welcome to episode seven of New Tricks, the podcast, weekly podcast, no less, from New Dog PR. Um, today we have myself and Catherine, as usual, and another guest. Last week's guest was so successful, we decided to try it again, but with a different one. So welcome, Tom, from Hilltop Hospitality Advisors. Um, Tom, how are you? I, I'm very well, thanks, Emily. And it's, it's Shrove Tuesday today, so thank you also for the pancakes. It's an absolute pleasure and and segued beautifully into obviously how at least 98% of our podcasts seem to run, which is talk of food. And we were having this discussion this morning, whether it's totally acceptable to feed your offspring pancakes morning, noon and night on Shrove Tuesday. Um, the general consensus is that's fine as long as there's mixed filling as Catherine was watching. What's yeah, your yeah. Bake? Bit, bit of sweet meat. Mix it up. Because that would be. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. A little brain. I had. I had a very successful time eating brains once um, when I was trying to woo somebody for sponsorship for an event, and um, we went to a French restaurant, and I had the brains, and they were surrounded by um, some piped, pureed mashed potato, uh, just to really emphasise the brain look of it, um, and then with gravy, and then I ate the whole of that, and they gave me ten grand. Hey, deal well. done. <laughs> Exactly. So, although oh. the rest of the day, I was very worried about whether whether that led me into a kind of a sort of a cannibal area for some reason. It does repeat on you eating brain. It turns mm, out good to know. Well, 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 well Catherine, I, I've got to say, as a vegan, um, I just have blue- <laughs> I, I, I just have blueberries and the occasional cheeky banana. And and how you and how do you feel as a result of that? Has that worked out for you during your pandemic? Yeah, generally speaking, um, it's all about timing, though. What time of the day and. Uh, um, like you said, is it is it okay for the children uh, to have three three pancakes a day or three times a day? Um, absolutely, but like you said, it's all about the fillings and it's all about getting their five a day. So as long as that happens, mm. they're happy. We're happy. Of course, of course. I think we've yeah. I mean, we're we're not irresponsible parents in any way. We're making sure that they're they're well nourished in a balanced and and healthy way. So. Good. Well, I'm pleased we've got that solved. So we've got lots to talk about this week because. Um, there are many, many results and there are lots of deal murmurings, um, hence the reason mm, that... That was my deal murmur. De- good murmur. murmur. Very good murmur. Should we <laughs> kick you. off with some results? Mm. Because because that's always fun. And then we can get on to the murmuring later. Um, Pandox, Pandox results. 
Catherine, what do Pandoc's results tell us all about the world and handball? Uh, they, well, they tell us <laughs> handball and, and the pandogs, in case anyone was watching um, their fantastic presentation at the end of last year. Uh, I was, and I enjoyed the dog. Do you see the dogs, Tom? <laughs> I did. Amazing dogs. I mean, I, it was to, amazing, to, wasn't it? I, I think so many people in the hospitality industry went out and got a puppy after that. Um, Completely, and uh, named them uh, totally. after various members of the Pandocs board. So if... <laughs> As you as you go through the parks of Europe, you can hear people shrieking, "Hamsters, Hamsters!" <laughs> and it's come back, stop that, put it down. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all true, um, but but mostly domestically. So of course, Pandocs are in a strong position because they own loads of stuff and they operate it, and they're not afraid to take stuff back if they think you're doing a bad job operating it, which is. Um, Always nice and something for I think for those who are operating their hotels to maybe keep them up a little later at night during this pandemic, um, or earlier in the morning, depending on which way you go and how much sunlight there is. But um, but the great thing for Pandocs is that eighty four percent of their rooms are in regional and domestic cities, uh, which goes a long way to um, explain why Anders was uh, talking about how he thought there might be uh, more enthusiasm for regional brands over global brands during the pandemic. Because uh, it's nice to go to places that are near. Here in Paris, for for a little while, we were restricted to one kilometre in terms of travel during the pandemic, which made local things very, very relevant <laughs> indeed. Uh, so yes, I don't didn't quite go as far as going on holiday within one kilometre, but that was always the potential. I remember during the first lockdown, people were talking about how they were going on holiday to their spare room. I did longingly look at my spare room the other day. I realised I'm fortunate enough to have a spare room and thought, oh, I could just pack up my little wash bag. I could take, take, take my book and I might just go in there, see if anyone notices that I'm gone, stay in there for a while. <laughs> did you discover anything exciting, exhilarating, charming even about your one kilometre local radius when that was all you could travel to? I discovered that if you only have one kilometre, people will still use it to compete uh, because there was an app where you could see what your radius was and people were screen grabbing their radius and going, look, in my radius, I've got half a park and an M&S. That's less relevant now because there's nothing in the M&S. <laughs> <laughs> That's regular viewers. My radius has got a little bit worse than it was earlier. But at the moment, we don't have a radius, so it's fine. We have a time radius instead. So it's really as far as you can get and back by six o'clock. As many M&S's as you can visit. Yes. There's, there's got to be thing, an app for that. <laughs> there, so well, we're down one after last week. So we're only down, I think, about 16 left in Paris. It's mm. getting bad. And, um, and only beetroot at the moment. Beetroot? Beetroot to go with the hummus, of course. Go with the hummus and the, still and the lack of mulled wine. Plenty of hummus. <laughs> no mulled wine. Just beetroot. I feel and like it's not the kind of beetroot you can grind up for alcohol either. It's all like pre-pickled. I feel like hummus is getting some bad rep here. Like, no, like... I bought plenty of hummus. Plenty of hummus. <laughs> I like, I like, I, I like hummus, but my favourite is actually taramasalata. That's oh, we can, well, we, no we, Paris for you then, my friend. We can have a long story about that. But beetroot is, you know, even with pancakes, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Um, really? Yeah. Beetroot, if you could, you yeah. not not like Russian style? No, no. I get once, some sour cream. No, 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 no. I mean, I once was no. conned by my. I think it might have been my wife actually, and she said, uh, "Here's a chocolate cake," but it was laced with beetroot. It was sort of a ready, <gasps> you know. Uh, yeah, there's a beetroot chocolate cake, and I've seen that I, done. Oh, really? I mean, I was hoodwinked, and I tasted. It, and I said, "This is all right," and she said, "Well, it's got beetroot in," and I said, uh, "No, well, I hate um, beetroot, but I like the cake." 
Um, on, on a just coming back to Pandox, um, the the other point I think to make about them is that, um, as well as their pan dogs and the excellence of that, is that they have quite a lot of leased hotels. Oh. So it's quite a, a resilient model, as well as having the domestic business, um, which is often third party managed. They have a lot of leases as well. So as long as their tenants are paying rent, actually, they're getting a return. Um, whereas, of course, we know for sure that in some cities, they wouldn't be earning anything if they didn't have, have a lease. Indeed. And I, I was wondering, we before all this, there were lots of speculation about where Pandox was going to go next. Um, and we all know that they're very interested in Spain. Um, usually people who are based in the, in the Nordic countries are interested in Spain for rather obvious reasons. But they were certainly interested in Spain. And they've got still a very strong position um, cash-wise, Pandox. So it kind of leads me to wonder whether this is their market now as a buyer or their market as a seller. Who's, who's doing well at the moment? Whose time is, it? Whose time is now? I, I, I haven't really thought too much of Pandox because, like the results say, they're, they're in pretty good shape at the moment. And mm. obviously, groups are doing whatever they can today to stay afloat. But the, the question I ask a lot of these guys is, are you going to double down? Are you going to buy when the market's right at the bottom? Um, as well as sort of keeping the rest of your business afloat, are you going to take the opportunity to buy? And I, I guess the answer with Pandox is possibly, yes, that 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 would be a buying opportunity for them with a fairly strong balance sheet and particularly seeing uh, disparate distress likely to come through in Spain and, and Portugal there was um, speculation that a, a big portfolio is on the market or coming to the market with a big PE groups looking at so yeah I'm, I'm sure that this could present mm. them them opportunities um, whereas other groups that are under more distress as we head deeper into the year I think we'll have to consider selectively selling assets um, rather than all the assets perhaps or they might need to bring partners in to keep them afloat and then use that partnership to sort of expand um, and grow their business um, as the recovery kicks into play. So I heard this phrase the other day, this isn't mine, um, I'm hoping to, to keep it but I'm just borrowing it at the moment, um, which is peak trough. Are we, are we at peak trough yet? Well, in uh, let's call it let's call it Europe. Yeah, I mean, we perhaps perhaps we are, perhaps we're not. We're, the longer hotels are open, the more um, concern I think we all have for the industry. And uh, the 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 market at the moment is, I think I just said actually that the more hotels are open, I meant the more hotels are closed. Um, but we're we're in this sort of weird situation where. I know for sure that in three or four recent sort of bidding processes, and I call them bidding processes because we have competing bidders. And what does that mean? It sort of pushes the price up, which means that prices, sale prices are getting closer to what sellers are wanting, which is not what people are expecting. Um, so rather than a seller selling at 20%. No, we're hoping for carnage. Yeah, no. So, so you know, they, they might be preserving their modesty. Um, by getting a 5%, 10% discount, and buyers are having to step up from wanting a 30% a discount. So although the market's on the floor, operationally speaking, you have situations where investors are bidding, if not at the prices that owners want, even over the prices, because they have weight of capital, they, they're looking for footprint, they're looking for deals, they can't sit on their hands forever. They have a mandate to invest. So it is a really weird situation because if you know if Tom Oakden was looking at hotels at the moment, I'd be thinking, well, 
frankly, this portfolio that I want to buy or I'm interested in buying went from, say, 15 million cash flow in 2019 to minus 1.6 last year, say. Now, would I want a 30% yeah. discount on something like that? I absolutely would, because if I'm buying into that, there's no guarantee it's going to come back to the 15 million level or above. Um, what's going to happen to the corporate market? Is that going to come back as strongly? We know the leisure market will, but that's a softer rate. So I think there's a huge amount of risk for a buyer at the moment, which is why a lot of buyers are looking at the solidity of the business in 2019 as a really important reference point. Look, if it's been doing well then, um, it is going to come back strongly. And at the moment, those businesses that were doing strongly in 2019 and that are more leisure dominated are going to arguably get stronger pricing, stronger bidding because of that dynamic, because the leisure business is going to be more predictably recoverable once we have these, uh, we have the, the clearance from um, our inoculations and the travel returns. Corporate business, conference business is still a little bit of an unknown. And do you think this is is this changing sort of semi permanently what people are looking for? Because we saw the Butlins deal and Rumpop before that. Um, but is there going to be a move away from core hotels, and it's going to be like, oh, I know at a hotel, but can I slot a hostel on the side? Well, not a hostel so much, obviously, because the people and the mingling is revolting. Um, <laughs> but, but, a bit of self catering, like, you know, a bit of extended self catering, a bit of extended stay. Is this the end for the core market or is everything still so horrible in offices and retail that, it, you know, I'll take my city centre 500 room hotel and, and be happy with it? Core city centre, core prime London, you know, Mayfair, Belgravia, um, Knightsbridge is still going to, going to attract a lot of private wealth that have a longer term view on life. So I think those situations are very isolated from from other sort of deals where people are looking for more of a five to seven year sort of turnaround play and my, my own view is that yeah people are looking for an yeah, actual return yeah yeah exa exactly i mean if you're looking for return now my, my view is <laughs> that that again coming from tom oaks and in, investor incorporated if i was looking to buy assets at the moment i think trying to hunt where others are fearful is probably a good thing so perhaps more secondary portfolios, which you can buy cheaper, but also perhaps you have more opportunity of it doing exactly what you suggested is repositioning, reconfiguring, taking you taking advantage. Look, if I if there was a conference hotel that was for sale now, you'd probably get the biggest discount of all the assets for sale at the moment. Because how do you fill the rooms? Well, if you're creative enough, you can look at that asset and think, well, do you know what? I can I can I can divide the building. I can do extended stay. I could do co-living. I might even do co senior living. I don't know, but there might be ways in which you could create income stream that you wouldn't have contemplated before. And I I, I was speaking yesterday to a hybrid hotel operator, which is one of these sort of tech um, businesses based businesses it attracts the millennials, and then you know it's very marmite. You either hate them or love them, but frankly, they are a presence in the market. And, and they're going to continue. Um, they, they, their business model is based on quite a rapid acceleration of rolling out their business in key cities. But to do that, they obviously can't build buildings. They can work in existing hotels, for example, by taking 200 rooms out of, out of 400 and paying a rent for those rooms. So that immediately um, provides the owner of some certain income 
um, going going forward, as well as having the, the, the sort of operating cash flow from the other part of the business. So we're going to see more of this. And I think the guys who are able to identify opportunities like that potentially could make the greatest return through taking that risk rather than buying something that's more of a vanilla deal. And it's just all about buying at the right time in the cycle. Because I think at the moment, you're going to find that people are, you know, certainly right now, they're, they're not buying right at the bottom because they're, they're still paying closer to what sellers want. Um, so you, you might have to find other ways of, of generating the return through through asset repositioning. I am in my mind now envisaging this these huge ballrooms which are completely filled with with old, old people. people. <laughs> <laughs> old people, just you know, senior living. But ballrooms, old people, tea dances, they've got the vaccines. Yeah. It, this it seems perfect. It works. This yeah. seems absolutely perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's bring it back. Yeah. They can all mingle around, get exercise, not going out into the community. Yes, basements full of old people. Well, well, I spoke to um, I spoke to somebody the other day uh, in Germany actually that that really specialises in sort of reimagining of old people. You know, well, <laughs> well, well, <laughs> speak for yourself. Um, no, that <laughs> is sort of. Re- I'll, re- go over re- the, I'll go over the niches, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and 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 this lady runs this business. She still sort of reimagines hotels and what they could be in the future. And this is a really interesting idea. You know, there's one situation she's working on at the moment, and there is a an absolute shortage of nurseries for you know the young, an absolute shortage. So she's talking to one hotel about converting a ballroom or something similar, a conference room, into a nursery. They can lease it out. They can create the facilities, create the sort of right social distancing through different ex- exits and accesses. And, and that's sort of an ongoing thing, which is exactly your point. It could be, could be older people. It could be the younger people. Um, the point is it's a different use, and it's just being creative, and, but monetizing that space. Um, that that's the key thing, and also this. Um, and I was talking to an architect who, who uh, is is working with a, a hotel just outside Cambridge. It's a sort of an eighty-room hotel, and they are in the process of repositioning it potentially to to a senior living. So they're going to take the whole lot over. Um, so it's not just part of it. I think for that use, it might be hard to just take part of a hotel, but certainly the use, the location, the the demographics are just so suited. Um, so, so yeah. Shall we uh, move on to Expedia? Expedia's results. Oh, why not? <laughs> what happened with this? <laughs> what happened in Expedia's results? Oh, so it's Expedia's results. Uh, things were, you know, ticking along. But the most interesting part of of the ticking along that they've been doing is that Verbo, which you'll remember is the old home away. Um, I forget what verb is, vacation, rent, business, something. Uh, verbo, as we're supposed, you're supposed to pronounce it like a word. Um, <clears throat> it's very pleasant. It's like um, Bruno, isn't it? Uh, in, this sounds like, in, I'm, I'm in the West Country, so it sounds like everybody <laughs> speaks about it. Exactly. Well, you know, the West Country, very popular with this kind oh. of home rental bit. So, yes. But um, So they've, um, they've obviously looked at Airbnb, looked at the pandemic and looked at Verbo, um, and thought, mm, and things have been going so well that they've actually removed it from uh, Google's rent, uh, rental metal rental meta product. Easy so there we go. To say. So, mm. And it's, I, I unfortunately blew all my uh, my enthusiasm for speaking with Verbo and Bruno earlier. <laughs> I now it's no more speaking. But um, but uh, yes, yeah, so now they they because they think that people will now go direct. They're such a strong brand. Um, of course, this is not good news for Airbnb to whom everyone goes direct. 
because they're such a strong brand. Um, so, yes, and they're also talking about putting their um, alternative accommodation on their other OTA brands. So, ooh, alternative accommodation still seems to be a thing. What's the message? Just Expedia. Um, so I don't know what people are planning for their summer holidays, apart from adding 10 days onto it when you come back by staying in the Newcastle <laughs> Doubletree. But, um, 10 days but, on uh, and 1,700 quid. It's ten days and seventeen hundred quid, uh, which sounds perfect. Uh, we look forward to Airbnb's results, uh, which should be gripping in the extreme. But uh, but yeah, it seems people are still catching on to alternative accommodations. Is this somewhere, Tom, that you think that people should be actively investing, or is this just a we can only go there, so we're only going to go there? Yeah, I, I think I think I think so. Um, it's here to stay. I think it's here to stay. I think the appeal is that you can come to. And, and say so if you if you look at the Airbnb, look that's that's sort of an apartment at a time. Whereas other other of the sort of the new tech based hospitality players take sort of fifteen or sixteen apartments in one block. So it's a bit like sort of serviced residences, and everything's through the phone, and you arrive, and and there's no interface with with um, with front office and everything else, which obviously ensures your margins are pretty strong, um, and it's kind of what that the millennials, perhaps the Gen Z, want out of hospitality. They don't want to be asked how they're doing and can I carry your bag, sir? It's like, that's too fussy. I just want to get to my apartment. I want to have all the tech available, the best Wi-Fi, the best facilities. I want to have access to the best restaurants. I don't want to go to a stuffy hotel restaurant. So if I can be guided through my phone app through this company to the best restaurants and the best shops and the best boutiques and um the best bars then then that's what i want to do so i think it, i think it is here to stay but another part of it is it's not just about um rent, rentals in buildings but i really believe that there is a big future in the sort of the glamping industry as well and remote tourism and we've seen it with with selena i think selena results have been quite strong and they're always sort of bragging in their monthly email updates how much higher their occupancy is over their nearest competitor I think they genuinely are doing well. And the, the sort of glamping idea is, is similar. Obviously, you might be in a tent, though, but equally, you might be in a bubble somewhere in Iceland and looking at the stars. And there are more groups coming through looking to explore this. Accor has a sort of a, a brand that does that as well. But I think a lot of independence will come through and will be backed by investors and will grow and create opportunities for. Um, Look, it could be socially distanced music festivals within a glamping community or classical concerts or just general sort of camping out. Um, and more people want to do that, I think. And I, I think that's here to stay. And we, we've got so much land available that it doesn't need development. At least it doesn't need the infrastructure so much as you need, you know, you need to provide a mobile kitchen, all the tents, et cetera. Um, so I think it's quite a good model for um, bringing people together enjoying the sort of countryside as well and the community and um and and sort of not absorbing huge costs sold yes i'd be in for some of that yeah <laughs> yes blackstone have some have some significant investments in it don't they um uh other than uh, other than butlins um so yes remote lots of uh, fresh air maybe the old dolphin i don't think anyone would be too opposed to any of that yeah, well, I don't know if you get dolphins in the West Country, do you? I haven't seen any yet. There's something you, might, you, might. There's something you get off the... I've seen yeah. something with a fin off the North Coast. 
So uh, very good. Yes. Exactly. Do some spotting of fins somewhere then. Yes. I'm, I'm going to avoid that. the obvious joke there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what That'd be about, horrendous. What about, um, what about Wyndham? Wyndham and their Wyndham, results. Wyndham, Wyndham, Wyndham. So for Wyndham and, um, and Choice will be coming up soon. Um, by the time you've listened to this, no doubt Choice will be out. But as we know, 6-1, half, half a dozen of the other. They will have been d- deeply, deeply enjoying all their economy and budget brands, obviously, um, and lots of drive to obviously all great. Um, one thing that was interesting, other than the sort of as expected quarterly jamboree of, of look how much better it is being into budget and economy than it is doing other stuff, Marriott, um, they have uh, they've seen an acceleration in conversions, which is what we had been anticipating seeing um, throughout this uh, global event. And we hadn't seen as yet because, um, as we saw at Travelodge, it still costs money to convert. And if no one's staying, who gives a damn? Um, so it turns out people now do give a damn and they've seen an increase in conversions, which we will be interested to see if that extrapolates across the rest of the sector throughout the rest of results season. Um, but Tom, I was wondering whether you were seeing any enthusiasm for people for changing brands or whether investors were back on the, we need to have a brand. Where is the value in the brand perceived to be? Will lenders only look at brands still or has that all changed? Well, it, they always used to say, and I think this still applies to a degree, that if you're buying a hotel, there is a premium value to it with vacant possession of brand and management. So you can come in and you can do what you want. Um, and it opens a much wider net of buyer as well. If if it's encumbered for 20 years, then the appeal is going to be less to, to, to a wider group of investors. So it's often the sort of the first question. And there are hotels on the market at the, at the moment that are available subject to hotel management agreements. The first question is, is it encumbered for a, for a long period of time? The answer is, yes, it might be, but there could be some flexibility with converting it to a franchise. So that is, that's a real trend we've seen in the last few years leading up to the pandemic um, with the converting to, to franchise. So the brand remains but it, it provides the ability for the owner to operate themselves or through a, a third party. So um, that was a trend that was happening. But during the pandemic, what, what noticeably has happened is that brands have realized that owners aren't really able to make 10, 20 year decisions and not wanting to tie up with a brand for, 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 a, long, for a long period of time, given the uncertain outlook. So a lot more groups are now offering sort of flexible sort of franchise agreements that give them two or three years to establish whether or not the brand's right for the asset and, and their business. Um, and then if it is, then they get the opportunity and the brand gets the opportunity of establishing a longer term contract with a, a PIP and a brand standard um, agreement. So that's sort of what we're seeing at the moment. And I'll give you some examples. Radisson uh, and, and Hyatt, for example, and Accor as well have got these sort of sort of quite flexible agreements that that give you as the owner that sort of choice to say, well, we'll take you, but I'm not over committing capital at the moment because I can't, because I don't have the money, but I can use the brand. It's not going to be a brand on the front door, but it's, you know, it's going to be a soft brand. Um, but it just gets me into the system to understand how you might be able to gen- generate the business for me. Hmm. Get another poke around. Mm. 
what's not to enjoy. Are you concerned that there's going to be, we're looking a lot at um, consolidation. Everyone's anticipating a lot of consolidation and deals within the brands. Obviously, everyone expects Apple to buy something massive, Hyatt to buy something at some point in Europe, one would hope. Are you seeing signs of consolidation amongst the investors, dragging it into a huge, huge representation of how much in the mainstream the sector is now by having huge, huge investor groups too? Yeah, I mean, we, the, the, I suppose the investor groups are huge, and but it's not all. It's not just hotels they're looking at. Um, mm. You know, I spoke to one just just a few days ago, and and they probably got sixteen billion. So hotels is only going to be a small allocation. Um, but I think the reason why all the funds are, have have so much dry powder for this sector is that it's a sector that provides the recovery story like no other sector. I mean, certainly not retail, um, because there's no certainty that retail will ever get back. But hotels are predicted to get back because of, you know, the, the, the nature of this, the, 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 the return to travel and um, the vaccine. And, and of course, um, the corporate world sort of coming back to something like normal again, perhaps. So this is why we're seeing such ways of capital. And of course, these sort of groups are looking to buy platforms, build up platforms, and then put them all together and then sell them in five or seven years. So that's sort of how it works. Um, the post um, GFC, a lot of these funds were able to do that and buy into these portfolios and build up their platforms. A Lone Star is a good example, Starwood Capital as well. But they then exited them before the, the crisis we're in now. So that was excellent timing. They want to build it up again, but it's harder to identify where those situations might be because portfolios are, are often owned today by private investors that don't have the need to sell in the same way that private equity would have done. So they might hold on to them if they're able to recapitalize or get somebody to come in with extra, extra equity to support them. Um, so it, there, there might be some frustrations out there in terms of the you know the bigger the, the bigger investors and if they could buy into brands um i think they'll buy into brands with an asset base rather than buy into brands per se because of course you know we can all buy the shares mm. on the stock market but if they are able to buy a a brand in in spain or portugal or, or somewhere in france perhaps with a platform with some assets then that's the kind of deal they'd want to do so if they're coming back in for the for the spike of recovery, does that mean that we're going to attract people who maybe haven't been in the hotel sector before or people who would come in and then exit it entirely? Or are these just sort of revolving door investors? To a degree, they're sort of revolving door, but they, they're, 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 I mean, their interest is in IRRs ultimately and real estate. And the, that's the real common theme isn't it uh, hotels are just sort of a byproduct of that as as logistics are and other other sectors as well um there I, I think what we're seeing is that some of the groups are beefing up their hospitality capability because i think they're going to need that um it, it is a it is a specialist sector there are nuances to it over and above a 25 year fri lease and um yeah, all the groups, I think, will either sort of have a team in place to support them or perhaps they'll you know, need consultants to do that. Well, if only we knew some. If only we knew some. <laughs> Answers uh, on a... On a... <laughs> <laughs> 
Any more deal gossip to be had? We love a bit of deal gossip, as almost as much as we love biscuit chat. Well, we do. I, I, I mean, I think I think biscuits are a lot more exciting at the moment. Um, <laughs> I, I recently, I, I, I recently personally, I, I was bidding for some dark chocolate digestives, um, but somebody oh, outbid. Well, I got outbid actually by my wife. Um, uh, she, was the what so, was the sort of uh, buyer seller pricing conundrum there? Well, yeah. I mean, were these unbranded or were they sort of store owned biscuits? Well, I'm not saying they were from Lidl, all right. I'm not saying that, but they might they might have been, and they're quite like McVitie's. I mean, they they they're not oh, too yeah. dissimilar, you know. So, I think blind. The thing tasting, is, though, what what happens is that is this if something goes wrong though with the biscuit, it's that yeah. you need that reassurance that you can go back to just a, know. You know, a wider, a larger organisation with more responsibility than nothing against Lidl or Aldi, obviously, no. but no, that brand but, promise. That brand promise, yeah, exactly. It's mm. it's 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 all about branding, isn't it? Really, um, and it comes back to hotels, um, you know. And um, but it I think incre- increasingly people are prepared to accept through through obviously the the the, the sort of the the tech economy and and what we're seeing with Expedia as well. It doesn't have to be branded. Um, something has to be good quality or whatever whatever value. That that you paid for it, you want to get you you, you know you you want to you want to feel that you've you've got your money's worth. And one of my gripes about the the industry has typically been that hotels have been underinvested, particularly when the market's going hugely strongly, and huge rates are being paid for accommodation that's really not up to snap, scratch. And and investors have perhaps neglected investing in it, and then they pay play catch up when. You know, they they suddenly realise they have to do that. So we have a fairly, I would say, in the UK, a fairly mixed bag of 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 hotels. Um, some are great, but generally some are very average. And and you know, as a consumer, I don't like feeling that I've paid a lot of money for accommodation that's you know very average, where I can't get things to work in the room. You know, my shower's cold, for example. Um, the, the the biggest thing, the biggest things for many people are give me a comfortable bed, give me a pressure shower, and give me good Wi-Fi. And if I've got that, I'm kind of okay. That's, you know, that's the sort of the basic, you know, the basic thing that, you know, needs to be provided. I don't really know where this one came from, but if I'm on a bit of a rant, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's just what I think. No, no, that's fine. You must let it out. No, no, I, I did a lot of my ranting around that, that end of things uh, during the Travelodge saga. So having stayed in, in a multiple numbers of travel lodges, many of whom could not be said to be advantageously priced or, in fact, advantageous in any way. So, <laughs> so, so no. Although, um, although there was one in, um, and I'm going to call it Bath because it was, uh, where I requested. Oh, I, there's such a huge opportunity for additional revenue streams um, because it's right next to a club. Uh, so less relevant mm-hmm. at the moment, unfortunately, um, but relevant at the time I felt on a Saturday night. And uh, and I said, you don't happen to have any earplugs, do you? Because, of course, it was one of these conversions where there was no, the walls were wafer thin. And uh, and no, they didn't. And looked at me absolutely astounded that I just even wanted such a thing. And it was all I could do not to go and find a 24-hour chemist, buy 400 pairs, and then spend the rest of my life selling them at the Travelodge for a markup. 
But um, but yes, astonishments. Thy name was operations there. Of course, that's not the role. The role of Travelodge is not necessarily to provide a consistent service. It turns out. But yes, there is a lot that could be shaken out of the hotel sector. What a missed opportunity and, and improved. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, no, no doubt. And I, by the way, I wear ear, earplugs in in nightclubs actually. <laughs> It's very responsible. It's mm. very responsible. Mm. Very yeah. I'm just going to use bits of wadded up beetroot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with cake. With cake in them. With cake oh, in them. Yeah. Sealed. Sealed in with hummus. <laughs> um, as we wrap this up, uh, Tom, uh, would, night you, clubs. <laughs> would you mind um, answering some questions for us, please? I'd be, be delighted to. When the shutters are up and I've had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I'm going to do is... Use my BA companion voucher and and go to somewhere exotic. No, I, I don't know if I will, actually. Um, I don't know if it will be exotic, but I don't know if I'll use it. I think what I really will do that's within reach would be I would go to London and I suppose it would be like revenge business lunches. I'd have a, a number of lunches during the week. I'd go to the pub. I'd have lots of meetings. I'd want to be as far away from my family as possible for a week, just to sort of decompress. And Why? I, I told my wife I, I was going to say that on this podcast because I, I you know, she, she's with me on that, and she'd probably spend two weeks away from me, uh, given the chance with her friends. So, um, just being honest, always the best policy. Um, the best thing about the hotel sector is the people. The people, of course, it's the people, but. But actually, just winding the clock back to when I first sort of started having a passion about hotels was, gosh, probably, you know, my teens, I think. And I just always thought it was wonderful real estate. It was sort of like, this is a building where you can you can do business, you can, you can be on holiday, you can have lunches, you can go to the bar, you can meet your friends, your families, your lovers or whatever. Um, and there's no other real estate like that. Old and, people ballrooms. Yeah, oh, yeah, old people in ballrooms. So I, I just absolutely loved it. Mm. And then from there, I got into hotels um, as a consultant. Um, and, and I'm still here a few years later. I won't say how, how many years later. but The hotel sector would be significantly improved if? It, if it were open. But that's, you know, obvious. <laughs> o- obvious. Um, you know, we, we'd like it to be open now. Um, I sort of ranted about being underinvested, so that still remains the case. I think that, uh, and and it's even hard in this environment to do that. But you are finding that some groups who acknowledge that actually this is the best time to refurb and refresh if they can. Look, hotels are shut; they're not losing business by shutting rooms. So just do it now because this is a cycle that you know you invest in, in, in your in your room stock now, um, and you've got another seven years left really to to enjoy that refreshed product the big question of course is well how do what do you do about ballrooms and you know other than the senior living option um you know do you how, how do you do you treat that it's probably not a priority right now um so i think i think i think that um that could improve things um but also just looking at the financial structure of a number of hotel deals we've seen in the last few years there have been ground rents and securitizations and these sorts of structures are coming back to, to, to roost really today. And I think they're going to, we're going to find that a lot of these structures are going to make it pretty difficult for uh, operators to sort of continue paying these huge amounts of ground rent, for example, 
on businesses that aren't really open or making any money. So that's sort of compromising the sector a little bit. That out of that, of course, some people will see opportunities. And actually, if we go back to the time that these vehicles were used for owners to extricate money, they did rather well. They, they might have almost got a lot of their equity back. So, um, you know, perhaps what comes around goes around. But at the moment, it's not necessarily the best type of real estate to be sitting on because um, owners today, if they can invest, are going to be wanting freeholds and, you know, they want to they want to choose the best that they can get. So I don't think that's the best they can get today. Um, so uh, that's just a sort of thought about the, the financial side of things. Thank you. Um, penultimate one, what the industry needs now is? A minister for hospitality would, would be great. And I think Boris has taken some steps to engage on that. Uh, it is one of the biggest sectors. Look, I don't have last year's figures. I don't think they're relevant, really. But a few years before, it's probably 10% of GDP. So it, it does merit its place at the high table. And I, but that said, of course, I, the, the hospitality industry has still been very well supported by the government with with business rates furloughs. Could they have gone further? Um, well, their business loan under the civil loans as well. Um, so that's what they're saying. They're saying, look, we're supporting as much as we can. But I think to have an ongoing representative in government, um, even when we get through this, is important as well. So I, I'd certainly, um, I'd certainly do do that. Yeah, here. And our final question. I'd like to think we've learned from this. Well, I think out of the crisis, what we've seen, we've seen perhaps a lot more collaboration between owners and banks and and operators and. That's got to be a good thing. So out of that, we might have, you know, better sort of structures going forward where everyone everyone can sort of thrive rather than the dice being loaded in the favour of one against the other. Um, we've talked about tech companies. I think we've learned that they can be very nimble and shift very well between sectors, as Airbnb did in the summer when they went from sort of corporate city to sort of leisure drive to markets. The the opcos we've seen are being more flexible as well. They're sort of being more prepared to meet the the needs of owners about shorter term flexible agreements that provide them both with um, you know a, a base base for business and the opportunity to grow it if if it's a, a successful partnership. I think we've also learned that um, extended stay assets have been really resilient in this crisis and probably would form a really good part of a portfolio for an investor, perhaps particularly sort of a longer term investor, you know, wanting to buy solid freehold assets with um, a very stable sort of return structure. You're not going to set the world alight in terms of rate growth, but the beauty of having long term residents is that in a crisis like this, even though we're locked down and most hotels are shut, extended stay residences still might be doing 50, 60 percent occupancy smashing that is super thank you so much um anybody else got anything that uh is pressing and other than biscuit chat that we need to cover yes no it's i was just thinking when tom was talking about all those hotels being closed obviously i i have appreciated that a lot of hotels are closed because that is the thing what has been happening in the sector where we do make our livings 
Um, and it is apparent to me that they are closed. But I don't know. I think maybe it's the, all the talk of the old people in the ballrooms. But, um, but if this was the 80s, all these hotels, I mean, this may be, this may be going on. Um, if this was the 80s, all these hotels would be being broken into by teenagers. And there would be like Molly Ringwald and people like that running around doing like weird things in the ballrooms and having, I don't know, roller skate competitions and, and stuff like that. And I wonder in the future whether uh, there will be films revealing that, in fact, that is what has been happening all this time. Because uh, you, you think about all the empty bedrooms, but you don't really think about all the empty spas and all the empty... I'm encouraging people now to break the law. And it's, you know, I'm not saying you should do this. I was saying that I suspect that people would do this. All those like empty dance floors that are perfect for, for roller skating and, and things in the dark. These oh, empty wow. hotels. Yes. That's what I was thinking. We can only hope. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Smashing. Well, thank you, thank you to both of you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Catherine. Best of luck with the hummus. Thank um, you, Emily. Tom, enjoy your vegan pancakes always. Mm. Thank you very much. Cheerio. <laughs> Until next time. Cheerio. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time. <laughs>